0: Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today, I am very pleased to be bringing you this conversation with Heath McIver, whose name you almost certainly won't know. But uh, he is responsible for Randy the Puppet, a.k.a. Randy Feltface. And if you've been at any festivals... Uh, in Edinburgh or Montreal or um, or Australia uh, and uh, even these days America as well, uh, over the past few years, ten years or so, you cannot fail to have missed. Is that the right way around with all the double negatives? Basically, you, you will know who Randy is. Randy is a kind of, not even Sesame Street style really, but he's kind of like that, um, he, well, you can see in the picture of this, he's a felt-faced uh, purple puppet who is... Genuinely, one of the best comedians I've ever seen. The when uh, we'll talk about this in the episode, uh, the ability that Heath has to completely embody and enliven this incredible character also gives him a springboard. And a, and a, you know, we often talk on the show about how if someone has a character, then they can they can take more risks and lose themselves a bit more, or be less inhibited. Well, you can't even see Heath because he hides underneath a little table when Randy is performing, and um, there is an absolute lack of inhibition, which as a result creates some really brilliant, majestic comic moments, and uh, the wonderful thing about Randy, and Randy is a wonderful thing, um, is that Heath uses that freshness and that uh, funniness to actually get into some serious topics. So there are there are some real standout routines. I urge you to watch Randy uh, online if you're unable to see him live. There's tons of clips on YouTube and you will see just how affecting and uh, funny this comedian puppet, puppet comedian is. Now, Heath has never been on a podcast before he doesn't like appearing as himself ever and uh, numerous times in the past he has turned down an appearance on this podcast he wanted to do it as randy and i mean i didn't tell him this at the time but i was almost about to crack and go bollocks let's do it as randy we can't really can we because it's all about sort of revealing the actual truth so that that kind of um we talked about doing it half and half but then for some reason he just went for it at the montreal comedy festival this year uh, he just said oh come on fuck it let's do it and uh, as you will hear that is in part because of a, a life change that he's making at the moment there's a, a really excellent hour-long conversation here and another 30 minutes uh, which include all sorts of extra secretive details about randy's creation his uh, fictional and actual backstory and exactly what it looks like underneath the i feel like it's called a playboard but i don't know if we use that exact term um so there's loads of stuff if you're in the insiders club go to comedianscomediancom slash insiders to uh, to get hold of another 30 minutes of this conversation that is quite a lot of ado, so without any further ado, this is the very, very honest and very, very funny Heath McIver.
2: This must be quite weird for you. It is. Well, you know what, it's, it, it is weird, but also it's not. It's weird, it's only weird because, it's, it's only weird if I think about the fact that someone else will listen to this other than you. Yeah. Um... It's like when you're on the radio and then you have that moment where you go, oh, my God, people are listening to this. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise it's just you having a chat with someone in a studio.
0: You've done a – you have uh, always attempted or uh, always managed to keep your name out mm. of Randy's mouth <laughs> and out of any of the publicity material. The, the DVD of Randy Writes a Novel yes. ends with written and performed by Randy. Yes, Yes. And you said you told me uh, when we spoke two nights ago that that is you feel that slipping out of your hand a
2: bit. What what's happened is I've always made a conscious effort to uh, Randy is the Randy is the performer, right? Should so we explain who Randy is for people. Right, right, right. It. So I'm a am my name is Heath McIver and I'm a puppeteer. This is me coming oh God, out. Thank <laughs> you. This is actually my coming out moment as a puppeteer because I, I mean I've always been a puppeteer as a puppeteer before I started doing Randy I've been a puppeteer for 21 years Randy's been around for about 14 years and uh, he's a character that I do stand up comedy with and uh, when I started doing stand up with him I came to him as a puppeteer like I was a puppeteer I was like oh this will be fun I'll do some stand up comedy with a puppet and when I started to realise that he he was establishing himself as a character in the first couple of years of doing him I went I'm going to distance myself from him and push him as the character. So I, you know, from doing theatre and stuff as a puppeteer, you come out, you take your hood off and you take a bow at the end of the show. When I started doing solo shows with Randy, he takes the curtain call. And that was pretty much the first step. It's like, okay, he takes the curtain call, so he does all the interviews. So there's, I think, it's like one or two interviews that I did in like 2008 or 2007 or something as Heath McIver, the puppeteer, doing a puppet called Randy. And then from that point on, it's all Randy. So all the interviews I do are as Randy. If I do radio, I take him with me. If I do... If you do radio, you take him yeah. with you, So they can be looking at him and because you can... Because they talk to me differently if he's not there. Of course. Yeah. Uh, if anyone mentions the can fact you that you hide under the table in the radio studio? Generally, yeah. Yeah. Because these days, radio, a lot of it's filmed in streams so so anyway i hide but um and if i don't take him i find i get very different questions so can um, you do him if he's not here
0: yeah can you close your eyes and do randy
2: yeah i just up my voice a tiny bit and that's pretty much the only change and i just am a bit more uh i don't answer anything seriously
0: can you improvise as well can you inhabit can you do can you do top flight Randy performances without him physically being?
2: Uh, probably, I mean, I don't know. Probably not. He's because it gets a bit stream of consciousy when he's on my hand. Stream of consciousnessy when he's on my hand. Um, you know, I can talk about puppetry and I can talk about comedy, um, but talking about my my reasons for staying as anonymous as possible seem like at times have been self sabotaging on some level, probably. Um, to the point of, like, you know, vehemently, like, uh, having, like, firm stance on things around um, even, like, social media. Like, I've only had an Instagram account for Randy for a year and a half, I think. And before that, I was like, fucking Instagram's fucked. And now I'm like, actually, hmm, yeah. i like, I'm late to the party on that. But I uh, it, it's like... The reason I'm going here is because you asked. You mentioned that I said the other night there's been a slight shift and it's because I feel like I've been fighting an, a, a losing battle, keeping myself completely anonymous. Mm-hmm. I can still definitely separate myself from the character. He can still definitely take the curtain calls and the credits and all that sort of stuff. But um, my name's generally bracketed in in reviews after anything, you know, like – people make Wikipedia pages for other people and you can't... Like, I've tried to edit my own Wikipedia page that someone else made and they will f- fix it.
0: Yes, like I've because, taken, because Wikipedia is about facts and the fact is that you, Heath McIver, are the puppeteer. But it's not about yes. giving you a platform to prolong the illusion of Randy.
2: I know, but the, the thing that annoys me about that is that people don't want to... Like, there are a huge chunk of people that don't want to play along we get it and it's good for you Sure, but we're not like IMDB for example Sammy J and I who Sammy J is a guy that I do comedy with we have a duo as well of course and he and I made a television series and in that it's, it's I'm not in the credits at all it's written and performed by Randy it's like Randy as himself yeah before we even released it one of the other actors agents went on IMDB and put all the credits on and put me as the guy that does Randy and I went to imdb got started my own thing it was like can we get rid of Mm -hmm. i'm that that's me Mm -hmm. and that's not how i want to be credited Mm -hmm. i'm not credited like that i got nominated for for an award like an an actor award in as in double A C T A. it's like the um australian emmys but not as exciting um, randy got nominated as randy without any mention of me as like the first non-human person to ever so even the award people went, went with it, it. Yeah, yeah yeah okay and then there's these people like no nah, it's not we
0: you know what's really going on bruh. on a side note could you could you you know the way actors when they join guilds or you know uh, unions come up with a, a stage name could you change your name to as himself so <laughs> there could be Randy brackets as, as himself. himself. <laughs> that would be a way yes, kind of hacking the Yes, there system. it is. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Perfect. Um, anyway, so, yeah, the reason I'm doing this today is because um, I've just put a show reel on heathmciver.com with Randy in it, and I, I wouldn't have done that before. So I would have kept Randy completely away from me, and now I'm like, you know what, it's no time to run from a fight I'm actually and it's more about where I'm at in my life in terms of like being comfortable with who I am. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's a crossover between going, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be okay with being associated with that puppet because and being proud of being the puppeteer of that puppet on some deep level of not feeling my own shit, of my own personal shit, and also like if I can't beat them, I'll join them and Call and make the, sh- you know, call the shots around. Yes. So if if it's going to happen, I am going to. It's going to happen on my terms.
0: So the it's clear from what you said there that the the separation of uh, Randy and Heath, um, I wanted to say church and state there, but yeah, maybe there are parallels. Pretty much that the same separation thing. wasn't uh, historically. It wasn't simply for the kind of fun, jokey quality of like, hey, I never appeared, Randy, you know, let's make Randy seem as real as possible. Mm. There was also a kind of base to that decision, which was to do with, which is kind of wrapped up in your identity and your self-confidence and self-belief and things a- like that.
2: Absolutely, yeah, 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 because uh, also just some sort of uh, probably on some level some sort of self-righteous um, puppeteer Puritan bullshit on some level where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm behind, I'm, I'm more crew than performer. Like Randy's the performer. Um, but then on a deeper level, there's like some sort of like self deprecation, self flagellation, shame, you know, hiding. I've got secrets under it all kind of shit, Catholic guilt, riddled fucking, you know, backstory that since having like opened that, Pandora's clusterfuck and like sifted through it and gone, okay, I don't need to carry any of that shit anymore. Stuff that I thought was really important and stuff that I felt was like a big deal is not a big deal anymore. And so it's, it's, I think I feel liberated as a person at this point in my life and there's a level of just unapologetic ownership now of who I am and what I do that has allowed me to do this podcast for example.
0: When we talk about the the mythology of uh, Pandora's Clusterfuck, you Mm -hmm. know, that's about opening a box that cannot be closed again. Exactly. And and it's about secrecy and what is hidden and what is kind of compressed and imprisoned. It's not just something invisible, it's something which has been covered up. Yes. And just in the way you talk about it, there is, and you're you're very open about, like, I have done some work and got over it. At the time, it would be easy, I suppose, to, to sort of presuppose that there was repressed Heath and Randy gave repressed Heath a voice as much as you gave Randy a voice. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you got access to the It because Randy, it has to be said, is, like, one of the best stand-up comics. Like, Randy is an excellent stand-up comic because, and, and I think in my uh, sort of apprehension of Randy part of that is the license to do and say whatever you want you it's like you you don't need to personally take responsibility you heath didn't maybe at the beginning need to personally take responsibility for the things that randy was saying mm. so randy could be scabrous and filthy and i'm not saying randy was like <laughs> deeply racist <laughs> no, that, no, no, you no. could tap into the id and let it speak In a way that another comic I would find much harder because I have to physically see them looking at me as I tell the secrets.
2: Yes. I mean, I think on some level it's like this comes up a bit. as like, well, you can get away with saying whatever you want because you're a puppet. On some level that's true because he is uh, immediately um, disarming like there's a childlike joy that you tap into when you see a puppet, and that's just people just have that. Unless you've got a fear of puppets, which is a thing. But if you see Randy, you look at him, and because he doesn't have any facial expression, you just you imprint what you think he's thinking onto his face. Yes, he is a naive yeah, face, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So there's that level. But as far as the the tapping into that sort of d- deeper level of consciousness, that that that, I think probably it was a shortcut to my comedic voice. Like, I got there quicker than I would have if I had to get on stage and people go, there's a bearded white man in his 20s or 30s. You know, like, you sum a comedian up. When they walk on stage, you go, okay, I've got this person's number. I don't have that. So, you know, know, you've got, what is it, 15 seconds or whatever to win an audience. You've got to not even. Like, you, you walk on stage and they go, he's dressed like that. That's how he talks, that's what he looks like, I know who he is. Mm. So, you either run with that and that you embrace that, this is my character, or you go against it and there's, or however you find your voice with how you look. Mm. I didn't have to do that because Randy, like with a puppet, to be a bit puppet wanky for a minute, the first thing you do when you get a puppet is you pick it up and you look at it in the mirror. And then you find its voice and how it moves and what its eye line is and how it breathes. And because you, it's like putting a mask on. And looking in the mirror and going, oh, I, I move differently now. I look different. Yeah. you know. So it's, it
0: flashes, doesn't it? When you get it right, yes. With a mask
2: or with a puppet, I guess that you you do a
0: thing and you go, oh, that felt true.
2: Yes. Yeah. Or you just usually like you put. I'll put a puppet on and, and play with voices for half an hour or an hour or sometimes three days, depending on the puppet. And then it just at some point it clicks in. and You go, there, there they are. That's the that's true to that character kind of thing, and that. Uh, yeah that's like a shortcut to finding that kind of voice I think. yeah like
0: I, I I as a comic can 't really parade around in front of a mirror trying different voices. I mean maybe some people do I can certainly think of one very famous uh, young comic in the u k who, at the start of his career, every time he was kind of fated for success, but every time you'd see him at a gig he 'd be trying something different he'd yes be doing, you know one liners or absurd stuff or angry stuff or depressed you know mournful stuff until they found exactly until he found exactly
2: Thing. So I suppose there are there are kind of versions of. I think people absolutely do that. Like you hear a lot of comics who go, I, "I gigged for eight years until I finally did material about A, B, or C," and sure. then people responded and I was like, "Oh, that's what I do." That's the truth. That's, that's the that truth. Flashed. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why I was very Randy was super angry, and 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 like my early stand up, like I mellowed a lot about probably about six years in, um, and now i 'm probably angrier, but i 'm angry again, but it 's delivered with confidence and it 's relaxed it 's not like fucking and another thing, which at the start that 's how that was my gear It was like why was that probably but partly my comedic influences around that time, but also because I was just an angry I was like everything 's fucked, you know like i didn 't think there was any point to i didn't i didn 't Comedy to me wasn't like, I liked the absurdity and the silly stuff, but it was like I was pissed off. Like all of my artistic expression came from like a pissed off place pretty much throughout my, I was in like a metal band and, you know, if I would write something, it would be vitriolic and my comedy was angry. And why was that? Well, because... I, I mean, as a 20 year old, I was kind of, uh, uh, like during my twenties, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty messy. Like I was, I drank a lot. I would like, I was joyous and I had fun and stuff, but there was like, I was angry. And I mean, I, we can get into all of my reasons for being angry, but I think it was just like, I was a nice person and I wasn't, um, I don't think I was like a, uh, unhappy person necessarily, but any of my frustrations or any of my confusion or any of my computing of my childhood and, you know, like, in the, I think your 20s, for me anyway, my experience has been the 20s of that bit where you, like, make mistakes and fucking stumble your way, stagger your way through becoming an adult. And then my 30s for me have been, like, just, like, still making mistakes but kind of taking responsibility for them and then figuring out why like asking why I keep doing that and then hopefully my 40s because I'm about to turn 40 in like a year I'm 39 in like a week I'm hopefully my 40s will be like that full consolidation unapologetic just I know who I am now and this is where I'm going that being said there's every chance that I will derail and go in a completely different direction, of course, and shit will happen and life will happen, but I feel equipped to handle shit now. Whereas in my 20s I didn't know how to handle shit and so my creative outlets were always like, hey, that, that, that's fucked. Look at that fucking thing over there. How fucked is that? And try to make it funny.
0: The, is, how much of that do you think was the, uh, the Catholic upbringing? Because there was a, Marcus Birdman was on the show recently. Right, and right. Not, in fact, I don't think he brought up Catholic, but he was brought up God-fearing. And that manifested in his adolescence as an angry reaction against that. I, was there, I wasn't yeah. I, I, I went to a school where we had to do chapel every morning. Yeah. and it was pushed down our throats to an extent, and it annoyed me, but it didn't you know my, my internal landscape was my own. I right. didn't feel
2: colonised in the way that I think produces a lot of uh, anger. I think what it is, is it's it's like you see the hypocrisy in it. You see the hypocrisy in it from a young age, and I'm not here to shit on anyone's faith. Like, if you have a solid faith and it works for you and you believe in it, like, I'm not one of those people that goes, don't believe in God because it's bullshit. Like, I think we're here for a split second, and whatever gets you through it, like, kudos. Like, run with it, you know? Um, Uh, But for me, there was – you can, as a kid, when you start to see the way adults behave around this stuff, you can see that what they're saying, what they're doing is not necessarily aligned. And so that hypocrisy starts to breed this level of mistrust, for starters, for me anyway. And then I think what it is, it's just – if you're told from a very young age that – this is right, and if you stray from that at all, the consequences of that are horrific. Like, it's not like we'll have a conversation about what happened and we'll ask you why and we'll work through that together and we'll evolve and there will be a tribe of people around you and you're cared for and it's okay. It's not that. It's if you come to school and have your shirt untucked you're going to fucking hell, and I know that's like an extreme example, but there is that as a kid that that's, underpins it. That's, that's the what you whole understand. Structure underneath it, isn't it? And also, someone is watching you all the time. You can't find who you are because, as a five-year-old, six-year-old, all through primary school, you're told that God is fucking watching you. So there's no privacy? No privacy at all. So you can't find your sexual identity or your, um, you know, a- anything you do outside the realms of being observed by an adult is being observed by an a, a higher power that will punish you, if not in this life, the next. You will burn in the imagery is there in the Bible and it's taught to you and like there's all these great stories about Jesus being great but it's fucking brutal you know um so that and that's just my experience people might disagree with that and that's fucking awesome but for me it was like if you if you stray from that you, you're gonna burn in hell so from that there's an anger that comes out of that for me and there was a frustration that came out of that for me because I we stopped going to church. When I was still, I think i probably just just into my teens, it was my parents weren't particularly religious. My mum would come to church with us on Sundays. My dad wasn't religious, but I went to Catholic schools, primary school and high school. And during primary school, there was a point where I just went, "Nah, fuck this. And, and then from then, stopped going to church, but still had to have everything that I was taught and all of my schooling through this cheesecloth of... God is keeping an eye on you, and yes, you can be good at science, but it's got to be on Jesus's terms. You know, there was just that thing. And once you
0: have that moment of revelation, <laughs> ironically, mm.
2: um, you suddenly you can't trust any of your teachers anymore. Well, for me, it bred a, uh, a mistrust and uh, a kind of um, like a, a problem with authority. So anyone who was in an authoritarian role, I was immediately cynical of, sceptical of and kind of fearless about taking the piss out of because what's the worst that could happen? You know what I mean? Like the, the things that I did at school and the reasons I got in trouble were always very um, just undermining authority.
0: That seems to me, in keeping with the stand-ups early years, formative yeah. years, you yeah. know, like uh, the, the kind of pressure
2: release of laughing at authority, laughing at a resented authority. Yes. And also that's where drugs and alcohol came into it because that's the perfect fuck you. That's the thing they're saying not to do. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where, you know, um, secrecy around relationships and all of that stuff, like all of that kind of, all of my formative... Um, uh, kind of methods of self discovery and experimentation had to be done in, like where no one was looking, and so that totally filtered into my twenties. So this this comes back to this idea of being unapologetic about who I am now it is tied into all of that stuff because I've looked at the concept of shame in and where shame fits in and where I'm what what coping mechanisms I formed in my life to effectively harbour a shame habit and what I've been through in the past maybe just six or seven years to just let go of that. It's really cool. So, so the reason that I'm okay about doing this is because I genuinely, like I can say this honestly, when before I said it, I was like oh, I don't want to think about people listening but I don't care what they think, which is so fucking liberating. Like I'm not going to read any comments. I'm not going to – like I'm, I'm having a conversation with you and if people listen in on that, fucking great for you. But you said at the start that – on off, off air that this is a platform for me and I was like, no, it's not. It's your podcast. It's your podcast. Sure. So it's not – I don't see this as a platform for me. I'm, I, I, this is like a, an opportunity to put on record – that I'm okay with who I am now. That
0: you're okay with nothing being on record. Isn't that yeah. like,
2: <laughs> isn't that like in itself a, uh, I don't know what that is.
0: I, I I know what you. I see what you're getting at. There seems an inherent contradiction. There is. There it. really is. It's sort I'd of like a, everyone to know that I don't need anyone to know anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Hey, that, I mean, listen. It's all phases, isn't it? It's all kind of ripples of a self-discovery, and then the reactions. Yes. What, like one of the things I'm fond of saying is that I, I don't read reviews anymore, I don't read my reviews anymore mm. and the next level of that is stopping telling everyone that you've stopped telling everyone you're, Yeah, you're exactly. Yeah, reviews. I don't read I don't read i get that. Yeah. This isn't necessary <laughs> this is the infrastructure, this is the scaffold around the space rocket. Yes. I've got scaffold, eventually I won't need scaffold.
2: But how liberating is it not reading a review? It's, it's, it's the best. Fantastic. Because you remember what it was like when you were like oh my god I've got a review and then it would be like "Oh, if it wasn't good or even if it was good but there was one line, it could fuck you." season you know or like at least get in your head yeah. but now it's like not reading them is just great it's so to the point where so i'm now great. i'm like i don't i don't want reviewers in my room like i won't at festivals i'll be like if they're like when when do you want the reviewers in i'm like i don't they can buy a ticket it's nice that's a nice place to it's be. great yeah you, i mean you, it might absolutely harm my numbers but I, fucking whatever
0: sure well you know the the journey of self discovery that we go on as comics and as artists and creative people and just as people like that's
2: the important work right yes I guess so yes and and again it's like that thing of being ah uh, and it's still I still catch myself I was about to say um, I'm proud of where I'm at like I'm actually for the first time like if someone compliments me. About a, like here, for example, we're at the Just for Last Festival in Montreal. I haven't been doing. I, it's the first time. It's the fourth time I've done Montreal. I'm not doing a gala this year. I'm not doing one of the televised galas. Last time I was here, I did a, a big gala and I did like a season. I got to do my own show. This year is the closest year I've had to like a breakout year because I did these roast battles. Yeah, man, which it. is which is like a it's some sort of like i mean i guess there's a, it's there's a late night it's like if you've done set lists, yeah. Do, yeah it's like that thing of like you go and see comedians do things that you're seeing them not do their set for yeah, starters. you're seeing
0: them out of their comfort zone yes they're clearly pacing around and shitting themselves yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah 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 and also you get to see other comics judge them yep and they're not nothing, none, nothing they're saying is scripted it, it's absolutely so,
0: defined the roast battles yeah. here have been the Jeff Ross Invitational Roastmaster whatever it's called yeah it, it, they've been superb and they are a hotline to recognition at the festival it's arguably more meaningful for Randy to have been in the roast battle got through a round got binned and then been invited back for an or match or whatever it's called yeah. um, against Finn Taylor last night which a was legend. titanic I mean, and I think Finn has experienced the same thing this year of being here and going oh suddenly everyone knows who he is because he took some fantastic shots at, he really at did. some high high profile targets yeah we will get into the we'll get we'll come back to those because I want to talk talk more about that but just in the genesis of Randy and the well there's there's two there's two kinds of threads at the moment one is I wanted to stay with the idea of the habitual mm-hmm. for a second because those I'm fascinated with that I'm really happy these days but I'm still in the habit of my previous anxiety of course just in the habit of it so and, and the habit of it if you embody the uh, the the habit it's pretty much the same as just the anxiety. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If you walk around the place expecting to be attacked all the time... Yes. ...have you really conquered your anxiety? Well, if, if, I think, can I'm I sorry, talking about,
2: I'm talking about me. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's a parallel for you. No, no, because if, do you feel like you have learned to... Are you able to witness that habit happening as it happens? Or is it only in hindsight that you go, oh, that was habitual behaviour? Because the change in my experience happens when you identify dropping into the habit either during or before you do. And that's what all that self-development stuff is about for me, I think. Any kind of 12-step program or any kind of, um, uh, I guess, uh, work around ingrained patterns that you developed as a coping mechanism that worked the first time and you didn't change that plan. So it's like when I was a kid, I did this and it made me feel in control and safe. So now that's all I know how to do for the rest of my life. If you can go, oh God, I'm doing that just before or during it, identify it, step back, acknowledge it, either apologize for it or just own it and then change, that's where it happens that's that's where the shift happens that's all it is for me it's like going i'm about to say this thing and i know i'm saying that because it gives me a certain chemical release in my body that validates me or makes me feel shame or makes me feel empowered or in control i don't need to do that i can do something i can use a different tool
0: and what is this work that you've been doing to achieve that? Is it reading books, personal development courses, therapy? What uh,
2: I had no personal development. Re- reading books, um, absolutely. I've read heaps of stuff. That, you know, I, I'm constantly trying to pick bits of knowledge from books. Therapy for the first time, really. I found a therapist that I kind of connect with, which what is really cool. Of therapy, just talk therapy. Just and he's in another country, and I talk to him on the phone. I've ne- I met him in person for the first time after talking to for six months on the phone. Okay. Um, and I've also, like, done I've, – I've been through a few different 12 steps. I mean, when you do a 12-step program, a lot of people go, I think everybody should do the 12 steps because it's actually just a way of – you – I didn't want it to go here, but we're going here. It's like um, uh, this is a thing that I am powerless over. This is a thing that I'm in the habit of doing which causes a level of unmanageability in my life. It causes shit to go a bit sideways or fucking catastrophic. And if I stop trying to control that, realise that it's something that's out of my control, hand it over and then go back over my life, look at how I fucked up, where I fucked up, forgive myself for that behaviour, forgive other people, and ask for forgiveness, you just shed it. And then you, Then it's just about that's basically it and then the rest of it, this is my huge oversimplification. But then it's just about having some kind of consciousness around behaviours that have caused you problems in the past. And that's what I mean about going, I'm about to do this. Yeah. I know where that's going to go because I've done it a thousand times before. Yeah. So I have to do it this way instead. And I'm not, I don't have all the answers, but at this point in my life, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm level on it, you know what I mean? It's really fascinating. I'm very joyful, as you can hear, talking to
0: Heath. He's, uh, he's a really, such a warm presence and such a lovely guy. I suppose uh, he has, I wonder, if he, I wonder if he would be this nice a uh, person if he'd actually been subject more personally, more kind of like if he'd been on stage and visible. Do you know what I mean? I wonder, is there a correlation between how lovely and warm a human being uh, Heath is and the fact that he's done a particular version of stand-up comedy and is maybe a little bit less weird very cynical and hard-bitten. Who knows? But uh, lots more coming up with Heath in just a second. Uh, and, of course, half an hour available to members of the Insiders Club. Join up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Before we get stuck back into this conversation, uh, please note that you can go to randyfeltface.com to find out about Randy, and you can go to feltface on Twitter to read Randy's tweets. Uh, Heath also has his own website, but you'll have to work that out for yourself. I feel like I owe him some degree of uh, pseudo-anonymity. Now, uh, I mentioned last week that we're gearing up to the tour. The first tour date is coming up soon. It's going to be in Edinburgh. Imagine doing the show up there. I'm going to be at the stand at 5pm. That's an afternoon show, just the hour... end of, uh, and that is on October the 5th. On the 11th, I'm in Northampton, uh, Tynmouth Pavilion on the 25th, Swindon Arts Centre on the 26th, and then November, I'm at the Glee in Nottingham on the 4th, the Glee Birmingham on the 5th, I'm in Bristol at uh, one of my few spiritual homes in comedy, uh, the Comedy Box at the Hen and Chicken uh, on the 8th of November, and December the 4th, I'm going to be at the Westy in Aldershot. All of those are going to be wonderful, and then coming up after Christmas, Caution, Newcastle, Glasgow, Farnham, Cambridge and uh, others besides, I think um, Leeds and York are also getting put in, so that's fun too. Did I say Aberdeen? I'm in mean Aberdeen as well. Go to comedianscomedian.com slash tour, because uh, that's the page I should be looking at now while I speak to you. So let's get back to this conversation with the very lovely and very, very talented Aeth Mckay. How did you get to puppetry, pre-Randy? How did you get to from anger to heavy metal to, to puppetry?
2: The reason I use Randy to talk about stuff on stage is because I can be fiercely honest and connected to whatever my truth is through a, a, a very clearly disting, distinguished comedic... Veil, so he is obviously taking the piss. Because look at him, you know what I mean. So when he gets earnest, it hits deeper, I think, because if you forget that he's a puppet and he's saying stuff that's like really raw, it gets people, you know. So I have that. He has that. The his. Superpower is stupidity and wackiness and craziness and anger and chaos, and then the stillness is powerful because of that. I don't talk about any of this stuff without him having that without that filter. So if I was doing stand-up as myself, I don't think I would necessarily be able to hit these marks. Cause I'm hideously, well not hideously, but fiercely private. So this is a big deal. But it's okay because I'm here and obviously it's happening and I know what's happening, but I just needed to put that in. Like I think if someone listens to this and goes, oh, maybe I should look into the 12 steps, then that's me carrying a message mm-hmm. and that's what you just, you're just meant to do and that's great. But at the same time with those programs, they're anonymous for a reason. Sure. So you don't come out and go, I identify as an alcoholic because uh it's meant to be it's it's attraction rather than promotion so it's not like i'm not going everyone should do a 12-step program blah, 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 blah. and that's why russell's brand's book is interesting because he is uh a lot of people would go he shouldn't be doing that he shouldn't be talking about recovery in a way that is publicly promoting but at the same time it's that's how it's meant to work, and we're at a point now where that that level of exposure is amazing. Yes. If he can get that message, and I I give that I buy copies of that book and give it to people all the time because I'm like, if you want to weigh in, that's fucking amazing because he's funny and it's easy to get into it, and he explains it. And, uh, anyway, I'm rambling, but basically, this is intense.
0: Yes, I I appreciate that, mm. and I appreciate you allowing it to be intense, and
2: I. Like I, Isn't it meant to be funny, this podcast? Absolutely not. No, right, it's not. okay. <laughs>
0: it's totally not. There's ev- every other podcast you're ever going to do, you can be funny on. It's, not, yeah, it's great. Not, not what this one's about.
2: So I left school and I went to a different school for year t- year 12, my final year of school, which was in Melbourne. I was a country kid. I grew up in the country. Went to this school in Melbourne. It was a very artsy school, theatre, film. film. I did film and media and all these subjects that my other school didn't have. And I was like I straight A's. Like mm-hmm. I was valedictorian. I fucking blitzed it because I was finally like – treated like I wasn't a fuckwit and uh, was great. It was good. It was really cool. And through that school, my media teacher was also the theatre studies teacher. I wasn't doing theatre studies, but I was doing theatre outside of school. I was doing plays and stuff with friends. And he found out about this TV audition because there was quite a big theatre studies kind of culture at that school. So they went to the school and said, we're looking for people to be like suit puppeteers in this television series. And he put me forward for it because he knew I did stuff outside and he goes, I think you'll be good for this. So I went and did this audition for a kids' TV series called Pigs Breakfast, which was a, a Channel 9 Australian TV show. Uh, and, yeah, I got it. And I was 17, I was finishing scores, doing exams, and I was shooting this show. This is where it started. So my first television job was – my first puppetry job was like a national TV show.
0: And you were – had you done training in puppetry or was it all just making no. it up yeah. and – seeing people around I don't you. think I'd ever used a
2: puppet before. And I was in a suit puppet, so I was like okay. inside of the thing. But he had like moving eyes and a moving mouth and he was kind of like a pretty dynamic character. And from that... Were you
0: controlling the eyes and mouth or yeah. someone else? did? no, oh, wait, no, no. So, so you yeah, in
2: the suit? I'm in the suit. I had a helmet and if I moved my head from side to side, he had eyes on eye stalks. His eyes would move left wow. and right and up, down. And then I had like a rod on his on, on his bottom What was jaw. the character called? Grob. 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 Um, So that was, and it was, we shot like, uh, series one was like 56 episodes. Yeah, right. And it was like brutal. It was long. And I went from living at home and commuting like an hour and a half every day to school because I grew up in the country and then went to Melbourne. I moved straight out of home into a single bedroom apartment in Melbourne, earning money on a TV show. And it was just like. Let's get drunk all the time, ah, and it was great, okay. and it was awesome. But I learned a lot, and then from there I went straight. Uh, you know, the people I met on that job um, uh, got me on audition for the Hobbit live. There was like a live tour of the Hobbit, and I went straight onto that. And then there was. Then I became. Then I started touring. So I started touring when I was mm, just turned. I oh, know I was still eight, just turned nineteen, I think.
0: Proper skills, high production values. Yeah. A great base for the... the, the you can, I can see that that base in the work, in the high-end work you do, in how well-made Randy is, in how well-performed, you know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. Like, oh, the projection, desk, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, decisions, yeah, I see what you mean. Theatrical decisions as well, which I'm sure Sammy kind of... Mm. That's a kind of co-authored element, perhaps. Um, are puppeteers, I don't know many puppeteers, are they like the boys in the band? Can you work drunk? Can you, go out, can you have
2: a cheeky beer at lunchtime and get away with it? So throughout my 20s, absolutely. Like with the Hobbit tour, so unprofessional. We used to get shit-faced before shows. And and uh, terrible. Like because you're on tour. The Hobbit was a really interesting one because we were on tour for like nine months I think and it was a bit of a boys club. There were It was all dudes and there was one guy in particular who I'm still very good friends with. We became like terrible twins and incorrigible sort of t- behaviour backstage and stuff. Corrigible, incorrigible, incorrigible. And um, uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of – and, you know, I then went on to other tours where we would have a few beers before shows and stuff and I wouldn't do that now. Even when Sammy and I started working together, we'd have like a – I used to make him have like a shot of tequila before a show um, against his his better judgement. But um, – yeah, I would always have a few drinks before shows. And when I stopped drinking, my comedy got immediately sharper, like so much sharper. Like... like
0: Did you did you tell yourself before that that if I don't have my little drink, I won't be in the zone? I think that's a thing that people yeah, can tell Absolutely,
2: themselves. people do that. But also because for me, we're back on drinking, damn it. But for me, drinking was wrapped up in, well, Sober Heath is going to be Boring Heath. Yeah. So he's got no game. He's never gonna get laid. He's never gonna have any friends. He's like, that's he's that's. It was so wrapped up into my personality that I was. We'd have just go for drinks and get shit faced. That's like, bleh! you know. So that was definitely my comedy. It was like I was punk in some on some level. But it's yeah, just sure. When you get rid of it, you you go. Oh no, actually, there's a person under there that doesn't need that. It's yeah. weird. But, um, yeah, so the, pup- the puppetry stuff definitely in my 20s, there was, a, there was kind of like still that rebellious disrespect of, yeah, I can have a drink before a show, whatever the fuck. But also on the other side of that, I took it, I mean, this is going to sound contradictory, but I took it very seriously. Like as soon as I went, I'm a puppeteer now, I was like, I'm a fucking puppeteer now. Like I, I just loved it and did everything. I've done so many jobs and still do. Like Randy is – I still do Randy but, like, I do – if any puppetry gig comes up, I'm, like,
0: in. What's your favourite non-Randy puppetry gig? Uh, Ever? Yeah.
2: Oh, fuck. Oh, I did – it. there's two – there's two characters – well, my favourite character that I've ever done other than Randy was a character called Fiend and he was in this – it was a – henson puppet so it was like a jim henson creature workshop puppet um and it was for a tv series called me and my monsters um and he was just an awesome puppet and i'm i'm like really if i ever see any little bits of it i haven't watched it but i see if i see a little bit i just did a show real recently i put a little Mm. bit in it if i ever see any of that work i'm like oh fuck i was like i was on What are the limitations of Randy? I can't – he's stuck behind a thing. You know, like I can't pace the stage, really. I pace behind the playboard. I pace behind this little thing. He um, – I can't see the audience. Um, uh, I can't do like – I can't walk from the back of the room in a small comedy club and just guest. I can't just rock up and go, can you chuck me on? Because I have to bring a thing hide behind and someone has to fucking carry it out for me. Like I want to do gigs in the States but I can't be one of those comics that just comes from the back of the room to a tiny stage and stands up and be like, well, what's up everybody? Hey, what's the deal with your shirt, buddy? You know, like – I have to have someone like. Can you carry on my ironing board wrapped in black fabric? Could you, so um, can- it's got
0: to be. In, it's got to be some elegant like two hula hoops with curtain in between. There are. There are. <laughs> there have That's been. No,
2: like- no, no. I've used <laughs> lots of different sets over yeah. the years and stuff. And and you know, having a travelling set is really great. But you know, the ironing board was it you that said it yeah. can't? Yeah. The other night, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's literally an ironing board. You were like, is it? You can't still be an ironing board. You're still using a fucking iron because again, like every theater has one. Every hotel room has like the number of. Hotel receptions I've walked past, carrying an ironing board under my arm from the room. Morning. And then just (laughs) gone and done a gig. So anyway, his limitations are he is a 39-year-old white Australian man trapped in the body of a purple inanimate object. I can't – I can – comment I don't I don't write anything that I can't I don't write anything that I'm not willing to talk about at length in the bar with a stranger who may have a opposite opinion after a show you know because what I mean. because he's an actor
0: because like you're not you well know, you one might think you had the ability to create a female puppet and talk about yes more gendered issues But you're not going to do that. I wouldn't do that. It's
2: not my experience. And, and again, I think that's the, well, it's, you know, it's comedy is truth and all that, blah, blah, blah. But it's like if his limitations are just my limitations. Like I can't, he can't do anything that I wouldn't want to attach my name to.
0: And he's not from somewhere else.
2: He's you. Yeah. People are like, what is he? I don't know. He's just a dude. He's just a dude who's, I see him as like a, 39-year-old dude just figuring it out. I don't see him as like an alien from the planet Blip Blop who landed here and he's like, what's with the humans? Like that's never – people sure. just go, oh, we get it. He's sure. a, he's just a dude who's saying words. And
0: that's, that's really kind of um, – I don't know what it – not refreshing exactly, but that's part of the charm of it is his absolutely alien appearance and how normally he behaves and mm. how mundane our world is that he
2: inhabits. And that wasn't a decision – No, right. Um, It wasn't like I'm going to make him a person that it was like, well, of course he's just a puppet That because backstage at that show he's just a dude who's about to do a shitty corporate gig. That's where his character came from, so that's who he is. Like if it was like I want to do a puppet character because people are like, do you have other characters? You know, like I'm a ventriloquist with like five puppets. Sure,
0: sure.
2: No, I don't have other characters. He's just – I do stand up with that puppet. I've got other puppets that I've used in different contexts but – I'm not going to get up and do stand-up with another puppet.
0: Could you, as a, just as a, as a thought experiment, if you got to a gig and you'd left him in the car and the car had driven off, could you
2: do his voice hiding in the wings? I would go out on stage and do him without the puppet. Would you? Yeah. Have you done that? I've I've thought about that. I've like, if if something happened, I would either not do the gig, but if it was me doing it solo and it was a sold-out room, I would probably... Go, hey, look, this is, we have, don't, nobody film this, but I'm going to do the set. Probably. And, and you would be okay with being seen? Yeah, I've done, I've done like two or three open mic nights. Um, my thing now is because I'm going to spend a lot more time in the States this year, I'm going to do open mic nights as me to work gear up so I don't have to carry them around. But I've done it a couple of times. I did actually, I did one in, I did a gig in Adelaide did a little run in Adelaide in in Australia late last year and I was doing a gig at the Rhino Room on the Friday night and I had this new bit that I wanted to kind of refine. So I just went to an open mic and got up and did a set. Uh, I said my name was Gordon Shumway. Who is the name that Alf? <laughs> do you remember Alf? Yeah, I remember Alf. Alf Alien used. To, Life yeah, Alf, he, yeah, he used to use the name Gordon Shunway when he pretended to be a human <laughs> on the phone or whatever. So I got up and I did the set and it went really well. And then afterwards people were like, wow, have you, do, what, we haven't seen you before. Are you? Do you do? I was like, no, actually, this is like my second ever gig, like so I didn't really, which well, was honest. So, yeah. you know, yeah, and then definitely. they were like, wow, well, are you doing any other gigs when you're in town? I was like, oh, I'll probably be at the Rhino. I'll drop into the Rhino on Friday. And there was a woman on the bill and she was like, oh, I'm doing a spot at the Rhino on Friday. I'll see you there. I was like, great. And then I saw her backstage at the Rhino on Friday and I was like, hey, and she's like, oh, you came, you made it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she went out and did her spot. And then I was on in the second bracket and I went out and did my spot and her and her friend was sitting in the front row. For the second half, and they came up to me straight after the show and came backstage and were like, "You asshole!"
0: <laughs> were like we we're sitting
2: there, were like we we're sitting there, going, "Oh my god, Randy's stealing gear from that open mic dude? What the fuck?" Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't have any. My my argument for not doing stand up as me has always been: nobody needs to see more of this. Sure, like there's this guy's out there, whereas Randy has a, a different hook, you know. But if it came down to it, I would. I, I and it's nerve. It's nerve wracking. It's a different. Like I don't get nervous at all with Randy. But it's it's like oh fuck, it's very it's very exposing. So that to me is reason enough to do it because I know how to do stand up comedy. Yeah. I've been doing it for fifteen years. But I don't do it with my face. That's a that's like a that's like a neuroplasticity level of <clears throat> learning at the edge of your comfort zone. Yes, like if you do something the same way. This is that thing. If you, if you have a habit of doing something the same throughout your whole life, vary it to push yourself, to stay young, to, stay, to keep your brain active, you know. So like the idea of having that adrenaline and that nerves and stuff, doing something that I know how to do, in a slightly different way cool. <laughs> and are you were you as animated
0: on stage when you were doing it as you first time I, I did mean, it because you can't I mean Randy is capable of phenomenal yes like, uh, tempo changes between huge uh, physicality and stuff you know like Kermit style dancing
2: yes sliding his head along the playboard I haven't done it enough times to know like the first time I did it I was in Perth and it was just like at a late night thing and someone said do you want to get up and I was like yeah fuck it and I didn't know what to do with my body I didn't I I ended up like stepping off the stage and walking on tables in the room Yeah, because I was like, I don't know what to do, yes. you know. But then the, the one I did in Adelaide, I found myself like slamming the microphone stand, like at a point that I was like, I, Randy would have been like hitting the table. <laughs> like, so there's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't done enough times to know what my, what my physicality is what as happens, a comedian.
0: What happens when Randy, does Randy ever bomb? Yeah. What happens when Randy bombs?
2: Uh he he'll, he'll talk. He usually comment on it. So, like, if if I'm having a bad gig, I I will acknowledge it. And
0: how do you feel about it afterwards? Are you insulated from feeling terrible? No.
2: Oh no, no, it's my it's my fault. It's not he doesn't bomb because of how he looks. He no, bombs sure, because you I did
0: miss- You didn't have to take the bomb in the face. You did They didn't uh, look you
2: in the eyes as Do
0: you think it's I, I, do, I
2: don't know because I don't know what that feels like. But I know I know that there is a level of uh, – there, there's definitely a, a blanket around. There's like a blanket over my head as I run to the limo yeah, afterwards. Yeah. You know, like I'm <laughs> – uh, the, the paparazzi don't get a shot of my face as I leave. But I'd like to think I feel it ju- – I feel the level of failure just as deeply. The shame is just as hardcore. But I guess maybe not because I don't have to – walk through the foyer and hear that, oh, there he is afterwards. But I still feel very exposed. Like I – you can't see me, but I can feel you. Like you can feel the room. And if the room is cold, that's devastating.
0: And how do you cope with that? How do you personally cope with that? Give, during a show? Uh, during and more and after what's your – technique for getting back on the horse, for feeling good about yourself, particularly in the sphere in which we've been talking of shame, how important that is to you and your psychology?
2: How do you cope? I don't have a specific coping mechanism for that because it, it is when I bomb or if I bomb or if I have a show that I think is bad, it is usually, in fact, I would say always more about how I'm feeling before i go on stage and what's happening in my life outside of that if i'm feeling good and confident in myself and i go on stage and i do a set and it doesn't fly i go well they were a bit fucked weren't they but i don't if i'm like not comfortable in myself and having a bad time and going through some shit in my life i walk off stage and go i'm fucked and i need to die and that was terrible and i'm no good and i should quit and blah 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 so it's different every time you know what i mean but i think the um uh I've gotten a lot better at going, Oh, that happened and laughing about it and going, Fuck, that was you know, I think you do. I think you become more bulletproof because particular it's 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 only difficult when you're doing brand new stuff and you go, This I think this is I think there's something in this and you go out and you you know, you get so used to certain bits of material and it's so comfortable and you know where the rhythm is and where the laugh's gonna land every time, but then you write a new bit and you're just naked again and you yeah. just it's like a first gig again
0: and when you're doing the stuff when you're doing the, the, the uh, honed stuff that's killing yep. you can come off going I, I am good I knew I was good yeah, and I'm good. good and then you drop the stuff and you write back to oh god
2: I'm terrible. I'm terrible. Yeah. I
0: myself, I'm a bad comedian.
2: And I love that because it's like I get off on the fact that that's like, oh, there's still something in that. I know that that bit's going to work. Or you you just get a sense, and it's like I like it when you write a bit, when you're working a bit up on stage, and it's like, I'll write a joke, and I go, that's the tag of that. That's that's what that's where that joke has to get to, and then you realize that the laugh is on the bit in the middle of the joke, not at the tag. Yeah. And so you go, oh, fuck, that joke's about that. Like the audience goes, that bit's not funny, but that bit, that's the joke. And you go, fuck, I totally misread that. I thought it was all about, you know, dogs, but it's actually about clouds, you know, whatever the fuck. It's like dogs and clouds is a bad example. But you know what I mean? It's, it's,
0: It's, it's I love that. Yeah. When you were doing a setup to get to a punchline. Punchline doesn't the setup work. Setup and not the punchline. You're like, oh, I think I wrote. An, I think I've written half as much
2: as I thought I had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or even better, it's not even the set. Like the setup's the same. The punchline doesn't work, and it's that one little side. It's the one little detour. It's like the little glance down the alleyway in the middle of the joke that you get. That gets the biggest laugh, and you go, yeah. ah, oh, that's the funny bit. Yeah. Anyway, uh, how do we get to that? Fucking. So I don't – I've gotten better at coping with – I'm fine if I bomb. It's fine. Like, fuck. Like, I think if you do enough stuff and if you have enough interactions, I don't talk about comedy much with other people really other than comedians and generally I try to not talk about it all the time. So if you have enough other things going on in your life, enough other points of reference grounding like – weights on the ends of your helium balloons, I think you can walk off stage and go, that doesn't matter, does it? There's 50 people that didn't laugh at that or there's a 1,000 people that didn't laugh at that, whatever. Like I'm not, somebody, nobody died. I didn't, you know, attach the left ventricle to the, you know, I didn't fucking, that person's going to be okay. We didn't lose him on the table, you know what I mean? Like it's like fuck it. And what an amazing life! I've got the fucking best life, man. Like seriously, I just travel around, and I don't have any. I don't have a house. I don't have a family. You don't have a house. <coughs> no, I'm like I've no fixed address at the moment. I don't have. A, a, I'm not in a committed relationship at the moment. I don't have any kids. I don't have any responsibilities. I mean, probably, I probably need to do my tax, but I don't. And I don't have an abundance of cash. I kind of live gig to gig. There's an irresponsibility there that needs to change at some point in the immediate future. But I have an fucking amazing life. I've been to a bunch of countries this year and doing different stuff, not just comedy, and amazing friends and my family, are, we're all really close. Like I don't, not, Like if I entertain the idea of feeling shit about a bad gig for longer than like five to ten minutes after a show, someone needs to come and glass me for being for like like look at the bigger picture you know what i mean like it's that for me stops me from spiraling into a, a just like oh fuck this is fucked whereas i think it was a lot more insulated in my own experience earlier on like this is the most important thing ever you know to wrap up wrap it up what's the plan with the states what's the what's the ultimate ambition world domination why the fuck not I don't know. I I um I would like to be able to sell rooms in America. I would like to, be, to have Randy have enough people know who he is that I could do a tour and tell my stories and do my shows to big enough audiences that I could stay in the States for a few years. And, yeah, and then, of course, like I would love to do more television. I would love to do another series with him. I would love to. And also the ultimate goal is to be on Sesame Street. Is it? Yeah, I'm throwing that down right now. Like that is like as a puppeteer, like Randy is awesome and I'll keep doing Randy. Like I don't have any intention of retiring him but the, my puppetry ambition is as big as my comedy ambition. So like coming here, breaking through with Randy, getting a visa and then knocking on the Sesame door until I get a at least a fucking cameo if not a semi-regular character. How because that's he, hard. That's hard to get does a regular it work character. In
0: Sesame Street. Someone develops the puppet, and then the puppeteer says, "I fancy that one," and then they see if they can make it work.
2: You kind of—I I, believe—you kind of schlep your way up until you've done enough, you know, horses in the background and little bit part characters until they go, actually, you know what, you've you found a voice with that one, and you just kind of ingratiate yourself, and that character gets bigger and bigger and bigger until they Sesame it Street. And the
0: puppets are so important. So important. They're so important to me, and they're so important. Like the whole, the the pre disney moments. I, I loved the first comeback movie, yes. Jason Segel one. I absolutely yeah. loved it. Um, the but the super wholesome Henson period, like the whole. I, I know, you know, I've seen all like the black and white clips, and like they were ad, they were for adverts, and you know they were trying. The the spirit of Henson is one of those. I suppose the American things, the other American things would be things like Bob Ross mm. and uh, what was uh, Mr. Rogers. Mr.
2: Rogers, yeah, you know
0: those kind of things, which I had no connection to Bob Ross or Mr. Rogers. I only know them from the internet I only know them from memes and stuff. And then yep. you watch a little bit, you see um, that that hearing where uh, is, it, is it? Is it Mr. Rogers talking to the Senate about why they shouldn't stop funding public access children's TV? Yeah, yeah. And I, God, that's a tear-jerking clip. And you you see the Senate go. Oh God, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they tell it's Mr. Children. Rogers. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that the implicit the goodness of Henson.
2: Yes, and also like as a as a creative, as a driven, purist. He's he's like one of the best examples of an artist pursuing his art, and. Fucking nailing it, and knowing what he wanted, and doing it, and also like f- he, you know, like if you read anything about him or watch any of his stuff, he's like a lot of his personal stuff and his like experimental films and stuff when he was younger it was all about running out of time. Like he always felt like he didn't have enough time, and I like that hunger in an artist when they're like fucking there is, we ha- like there are so there's so much to do, and we're gonna do it right. And, and Muppets like thirty takes. You know what I mean like I chuck Randy on and do a, do one take most of the time you know what I mean it's like bang 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 and but when to have that level of as a puppeteer to be like there's 20 puppeteers on this set everybody has a puppet we're going to make every single puppet look right in this shot and we're going to rehearse yeah. it and choreograph it like a dance until it's fucking Perfect, and you see that in those Muppet shows, particularly in the films. Yeah, when clearly the set is enormous yeah, and built yeah, yeah. up high yeah. and multi-levelled and layered. I, that's to me is like that. I want to, I want to do that, and I want to make mupp I want to make puppet films. I want to be. A, I'm a puppeteer. You know, like I want to do puppetry stuff. So the states is like, yes, Randy is a comedian, and I would love for him to have a successful career in the states. But also, my puppetry experience has been mostly australian based so i'd love to do some more stuff over here thanks there coming. you go thank you Ah, oh, lovely
0: heath such a joy to talk to him and um very excited to see what he does next he's one of those people that just the the production values not just of the production but you know what i mean the all of those things, all of those markers of quality—the production values, the quality control, the writing, the drafting, the polishing, and the performance. Jesus, I wish you could have seen him at the roast battle uh, in uh, just for last where we were in um, in Montreal. This uh, nightly roast battle, kind of midnight every night, and all the all the industry kind of turn off industry mode and go and just watch comedians absolutely rinse each other um, under the expert tutelage of Jeff Ross and a cavalcade of uh, famous comedian. Uh, yeah judges and it was just I mean Jimmy Carr always wins and uh, there is a certain pride, in I've mentioned this before but seeing like Dave Chappelle and his crew all going nuts, uh, Jimmy who I believe is from Hounslow um, so uh, uh, Jimmy was great, Finn Taylor was amazing at those roasts as well as was Randy and uh, if you ever get the chance to see those, I mean I know there's a, there's a version on, um, on the TV in the UK uh, and in the States of course and you can actually go, I'm not uh, I should find out the name, I'll try and put this in the show notes um, there is the Roast Battle podcast and at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, earlier this year, I battled uh, with the, the brilliant and very, very funny Dave Hill. So have a look for that. That's somewhere. Maybe we'll, we'll link to that on the show notes if Nathan listens to this and adds it and is actually paying attention, Nathan. And um, that's all. I'm going to post-amble at you shortly. I'm hanging around uh, a sort of graffitied square of waste ground <laughs> before, before going on stage. So I'll post-amble at you in a second. And um, just, just a little note about the post-amble. If you're newer to the process, the, there's the show, that was the show, and uh, next week there'll be another show, but the show concludes in a moment or two, and after this podcast has concluded, you can hang around if you want and continue listening while I ramble at you, but there's no... There's no illusion that I'm doing anything other than just having a bit of a think and a meander. And that's what it's supposed to be. And I say this only because I got a mean review on iTunes that said I bang on too much at the end of the show. And I felt like going, no, the show concludes. This is extra content which you can choose to uh, engage with uh, or not but don't fucking whinge about it. Like, I, I couldn't be... Like, I go out of my way to, to shed you all by the time I, uh, I, I do this bit. There we go. Hey, new, new for 2019. Stu Goldsmith started saying things like, don't fucking whinge. Well, that's all for this episode. Um, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And that concludes the podcast. Speak to you next week. I don't have a huge amount to share with you this week, if I'm honest. Uh, we were in hospital again at the weekend with the Boutros, and uh, his, he had a viral wheeze, and now we're at the stage, like the fifth visit, so we turn up and go, yes, doctor. What, they say, what seems to be the problem? And we go, the problem is he needs uh, 2.5 mil of prednisolone now and then twice more in the next 24 hours, uh, and uh, you need to take these steps. And they, they look at him and they go, yeah, 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 we do need that. <laughs> so we've become quite pro about that uh, and he was very chipper throughout i'm very proud of him he's uh, he's uh, very uh, upbeat Um, And just glorious to take him to the BRI, the Bristol Royal Infirmary, which has a fantastic kids hospital. I don't know if I mentioned this last time it came up, but uh, it's so frightening when your child is ill, like he's struggling to breathe. It's horrible. And we are in such capable hands whenever we go there. It's a fantastic hospital. Everyone in it or remotely connected with it has my blessing. It is wonderful. And thank you all for being brilliant with my son when he was ill um and uh, and thanks for it's such a fun hospital to walk around with a kid you when you especially when you're trapped there for 36 hours doing shifts with your partner there's loads of fun things to discover and explore and uh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm recommending hospitals now. I've not taken any money for this. This <laughs> is just an ad for, for the PRI. Should you be unfortunate enough to require their services, I cannot recommend them enough, and uh, I love everyone that works there. So if you're connected with it at all, I uh, please, and you listen to this show, uh, then please allow yourself, uh, or allow yourself to feel an enormously warm and emotional hug from me. Um, I did at one point come out of a, um, I did come out of a. Uh, a mother and baby i'd nipped for a wee in the only available toilet which was one that had a sign on it saying it's changing facilities now i didn't have the baby with me at the time future girl was uh, with her mum and uh, and but i sort of i don't know if i consider myself allowed to go in there by virtue of being a parent I'm, you know i'm i know my way around a nappy so this i'm allowed or whether I just didn't really think about it. But as I left, uh, there was a mum waiting to go in with a baby that clearly needed changing. Or or maybe she was also blagging the system, you never know. Um, But I did want to say, and I had to, I mean, I was all soupy and tired, I'd been up all night, and uh, I... I really wanted to say something like, uh, like to, to just kind of clock her clocking me and say something like, yeah, actually not all babies are visible. I really wanted to. I had a real, like a, a strong push to, um, to say what is effectively a really absurd joke that I think the person in the street or the lady in the hospital would really struggle to get on board with conceptually, uh, let alone whilst administering to their baby and or another child who uh, who's in hospital. So what I'm saying is, I-, I wish I'd said that and I didn't. And, you know, in an alternate universe, this story is me going, and then I said that and she just stared at me and i ruined both of our days. So at least that didn't happen. Um, anyway, that's all for me now. I've got to go and, um, and prep for this gig for my first club gig back since the uh, since the festival. It's been... It's been ages. What is it, 90? It's been three weeks? I can't remember what i do. I listened back to one of the... I recorded every single episode... Episode. Every single edition of Primer, and I listened back to one on the way here. And there are so many lovely little, little kind of f- trills, little jokes, little ac- accidental things I said that got a laugh, and I went, oh, I'll, I'll keep that in. And there is no way to collect all of them without sitting and listening to 22 editions of the same show. Dave from Toronto, Toronto Dave, who, uh, who works at the Monkey Barons, one of their excellent staff members that looked after me, suggested that I could crowdsource listening to Primer. If 22 of you wanted to uh, make yourselves known to me, don't do this officially yet, I'm just thinking out loud, then um, I could send you a, one of the copies of Primer and you could write down anything that seems like an afterthought in an attempt to sift whale-like through the... Uh, to try and find the krill. Is that a good idea or is that? I mean, that's an administrative nightmare on the scale of the, the T-shirt fiasco at Christmas. Um, I'll give that a bit more thought before I come back to you. Plus, I, I, I mean, look, I love, I love my art. I struggle with the sound of my own voice. And the idea of listening to 22 hours of stuff in order to not let any nuggets go, I think what I should do is back myself that there will be nuggets in future and just listen to one or two of them. That's probably a bit more sensible, isn't it? Anyway, um, thank you everybody who got in touch uh, with their own stories of being unable to relax in the bath Uh, and bless you, those of you who got in touch, to say that you were also uh, in, uh, you know, accidents as a child and difficult things happened to you and it led to you being stressed and anxious. And uh, some of you also, thanks to those of you who said, no, I am in an accident, I'm absolutely fine. So uh, the results there, inconclusive. But the the data on the warmth of the listenership of this show, very much conclusive. So thank you to everyone that got in touch. I reply to everyone. It just, these days, takes longer and longer um, just to fucking get round to it. (laughs) I can't leave it like that, Nathan. Yes, I can. Yep, believe in yourself. That's the end. <laughs> okay, I'll speak to you next week. Loads of, God, face-meltingly good stuff coming up. Um, who should we do next week? Sarah, should we do Sarah Barron? Oh, it's a blinder. All right, have fun. Speak to you soon. Bye.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.